Hi, I'm Sadek. And I'm Christian. And this is episode 106 of Shades of Brown. And this week we're going to do, I guess it's, this is follow-up. Uh, we talk about, to, to talk about Destiny 2 more more specifically uh, that I, I got into it. Uh, it's got me. I've fallen into the trap. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot. Uh, I just started playing. I picked up. Uh, I started with Christopher Cyrus because that was the stuff that I didn't do. I did Christopher Cyrus. I did Warmind. Because you'd originally, you beat the original campaign. So you beat the Red War, right? So you have basically from Christopher Cyrus, Warmind, Forsaken, and Shadowkeep, like on, right? To, to go through. Yeah, I'm basically doing them in order. So I did Christopher Cyrus. I did Warmind. Uh, and then. So before, before we even go to like anywhere past that, I need to ask you those as paid expansions how upset would you be if you paid for like those two expansions and that's what you got because that's what i did and i was at, pretty upset with the game he's for free right i imagine for like as a part of the free-to-play version not pretty fun campaigns but think of them both as 25 dollars or 20 dollars paid expansions. okay uh curse of osiris is probably the worst of them right uh like it's it's fairly short and also like uh the the quest isn't like the quest has some good areas right you, you go to mercury the the infinite forest uh you have you, have, you fight a lot of vex but it's not that interesting and osiris barely is in it right and it's like it's, it's not that it's not that good uh warmind though actually is this i like if i paid for that i wouldn't i wouldn't be mad because warmind i think is pretty good uh it's 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 a bit longer and you 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 get introduced more better characters like anna bray uh and the Rasputin as as well, like Rasputin's whole story, right, right, yeah. Uh, I liked it. I like Warmind more than Crystal Cyrus. I'm doing Forsaken right now. Forsaken is even better. Although I will say, I will say, there's a one quest of Crystal Cyrus that um, I would imply. I would say when you get the time, go through it. It's the one where you're, you get like this um, thing from Brother Vance, where you have to like uh, you have to apply um, paradox cores or something like that too i forgot the exact name of it because essentially every time you fill out the cube you get a, a like a god tier weapon roll oh uh, okay and those weapons you could take with you you can upgrade them to the current level and so the guns you get from there there's a scout rifle there's a hand cannon there's one of each archetype right and all of the weapons from there because i don't know if they come masterworked anymore back when i was playing originally they became masterworked i imagine that bungie probably changed it so they're no longer masterworked by default but the roles you get with them are very good for the archetype of the weapon so they're like very good versions of what like those guns could be so i would say that you should probably whatever like you know once you know the core campaigns those are pretty fun quests to go yeah through. yeah i have like like i, I finished i finished uh christmas iris warmind 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 has uh, a specific like two quests that you get like for gold golden weapons I think exotic, exotic so the gold, gold ones are exotic quests yeah, yeah those exotic are, quests um, that's a sleeper simulant and it should be another gun I believe uh, it's 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 for uh, the Icolos quest line where you have to use the Icolos pistol that you get right uh, that's for Anna Bray right that's the one where you get the uh, yeah, and that is so the Iclos weapons are the same as the um uh the ones I was talking about in Curse of Osiris, where those are predefined rolled weapons, but the rolls are pretty good for the archetype because there's also like a scout rifle and a submachine gun and all of those you can get from the um Warmind campaign. Yeah, so it's it's a lot a lot, lot of stuff going on, a lot of changes from when I last played, but uh like infusion is one that has changed right, right before infusion would be you only need a what, legendary shards and uh and then the same weapon type, right? 
to infuse. Now you need a, another resource, which is uh, upgrade cores. Like each, well, it's, each, it's just upgrade cores. It's, it's just upgrade cores. Too. Because back in Forsaken, it was horrible. Forsaken, it was Glimmer, Legendary Shards, and Enhancement what Cores. The <laughs> and Enhancement <laughs> Cores were extremely rare drops in the game. So, like, you, you know how, like, when you're in Tangled Shore right now, you can buy them from Spider? Those were the that was the easiest way to get them in Forsaken. Not, but they they drastically increased the drop rate when um late into Forsaken just because of how much everyone was complaining. Yeah, yeah. Like I would imagine like getting upgrade cores is like one of the like, upgrade cores are like you need one upgrade core per infusion, right? So if Yeah, you, which is great. You needed like two or three enhancement cores per infusion. And the more the higher the level was, the more cores. It was it was a fucking mess. The infusion system in Forsaken like just made me want to stop playing the game because I was like, I want my miter to be higher power, but I had to like waste so many resources just to bring it up. It was it wasn't even wasn't even worth it. Yeah, and like everything else, like uh, it's it's fine. Like I haven't gone back into Crucible because. Uh, I like I don't want to play Crucible right now. Like I'm just doing the I'm doing stuff solo right now, so it's like don't want to get back into Well well, how do you feel about the um about the general game sandbox? Because before you stopped playing Destiny 2, they hadn't released yet the go fast update. Because they essentially took the game and increased the speed of everything. They increased time to kill on enemies, they increased time to kill on um, PvP folks, they increased the movement speed, they increased regeneration speeds. Um, they've nerfed a little bit of it since then to bring it back down, but the game like, you know, like, objectively plays faster than it does when you were playing it. I, I didn't notice it, but yes. Like, I didn't notice it because it's been a long time since I played, but, like, everything is fast, yeah. Like, I like time to kill is very short, especially on, like, mob enemies, right? You know, basic yeah. enemies basically die in one precision shot, right? And then, like, you have your mid-tier enemies that are, like, take a few more. But yeah, like, it's, it's like, regeneration is, is fast. I mean, you just have of to course, t- it depends on your build. It right? depends but, on your build too. Uh, but like baseline, I think like I, I feel like the sandbox is in the best place it's been at because like I because like when I'm playing at least since I've played through the various changes, there's nothing outside of PvP that I would complain about in terms of like just running around right and killing mobs or like doing regular missions. I feel like each gun like or each archetype has its place, and you can like there's like defined lines, you know, where like a you, you would rather use a, a sniper than a scout rifle. I- I still don't. I've never used a sniper in Destiny. Well, I I have, but like I don't. I don't like using snipers in Destiny just because it feels like most of the time it's mid to short, like mid to short range combat, um, and snipers are not great for that. Obviously, it's snipers only like really good for boss battles. Yeah, right? yeah, snipers are good for boss battles. That's probably P, uh, for P- PvP uh, in Crucible, uh, but in in the story campaigns and stuff like that, it's mostly like. Just get a good scout rifle, get a good, uh, I don't know, submachine gun or, or sidearm or hand, 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 handguns, um, hand cannons, handguns. Uh, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's, I think they increased special ammo drop rate, or I don't know if that's just like a thing. No, they increased the, so they redid, remember, they redid weapons before, with Forsaken. So with Forsaken, right, remember, you couldn't, you couldn't have a secondary slot be a hand cannon or anything like that, right? You can have two shotguns now, right? Yeah, the secondary weapons are just elementals and not, like, archetypes. So they redid that system. Because back when you were playing, it was, like, pulse rifles, auto rifles, um, scout rifles, and hand cannons were the only ones that could be a primary. And everything else is either um, 
secondary or heavy but they redid that so you could just basically like run with like three shotguns if you wanted to. yeah it's it's kind of wild because i can have i just have like a scout rifle build with just two scout it's it's kind of weird uh we get like a slow firing scout rifle and like a fast firing one and just switched from them if you for god knows why yeah, i don't know <laughs> just but yeah like there's a lot more progression stuff going on uh bounties are obviously thing and like what else uh escalation protocols on mars like the, the the i guess these are like kind of world events but not kind of like you can you can trigger them uh, at will right if that's the difference between that and the other events and the world so yeah i've been enjoying this new too uh looking forward to f- finishing up the forsaken campaign and then getting i mean shadow keep I don't know if I want to get into Shadow Keep like straight away, but like I want to do other stuff. And then do I games. mean, it's definitely still a bunch of time too with the with with Forsaken. There's still a bunch of content for you to go through. So I really, it's like if you if you want to sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not in a hurry, so I'm I'm looking forward to getting through it. So that's that's Destiny too. Uh, look, <laughs> I guess we'll check back in a, in a while. Uh, yeah, for sure. All right. So the next topic is the is the is the PlayStation Five, uh, another exclusive for Wired this time. Obviously, or again, Wired's been getting a lot of Sony exclusives. Like it, it's strange because it, I think that's the only outlet that's really been getting any of the PS Five story. I, uh, one I, interesting. I guess Sony just chose Wired, or Wired it was Wired showed interest in that. I guess, uh, but. So, so they confirmed the first thing, uh, the name of the, of the new next generation console, uh, is, is, is PlayStation 5. Like, I think that was just, just, that, that sounds pretty obvious. Like, I, I would have been surprised if they called it something else. Although, I guess, I, I guess at this point, right, like, they could just remove the numbering and just be like, it's like the latest PlayStation, uh, considering that, you know, now since everything's running on x86, it's sort of like the newer console you get is just like, a more beefed up version of the prior console generations aren't really as important as i I guess with the ps5 though at least it lets developers like say hey we only support ps5 instead of um doing like a rolling system which is what i kind of hoped right from this generation going forward right it's like you know you buy a ps4 it'll run games like the next eight years but then you know slowly developers will stop supporting it and move on to the next one but if you have definitive console generations it makes that harder since it's usually a clean break yeah, and and I, I think this this is not new. Like the PS5 uh, CPU is is Scarlet based. Uh, oh, they they're calling it Scarlet. Oh, the pro- that was the oh no, it's not called Scarlet. Microsoft Project Scarlet is the successor to the Xbox One, um, and it'll be using AMD's. Both uh, yep. of them are using yeah Ryzen, likely um, with a Navi uh, GPU. GPU. Uh, and the first thing, uh, another next thing, I guess, is the they confirmed that ray tracing acceleration is going to be in the GPU hardware, which is that is new because like which is this like a new Navi chip? Is this like yeah? Because like Digital Foundry was saying that they think it's going to be um, an RDNA 2.0 implementation that has hardware RTX because the Navi chips right now, the 5700, the 5700 XT, those have no Navi, um, or sorry, no RTX cores on the GPU. So 
while you could technically do like a form of ray tracing, right? Like a very basic form of it on that hardware to do the full sort of RTX implementations that you're getting with NVIDIA, you need like dedicated cores for it. And so the, uh, the thinking is that they're using like next generation um, chips that are going to include those cores, which would make sense since they're not coming out till next year. Yeah. Uh, so the, I mean, that's, that's fine. And we'll see what that actually looks like and what the, what sort of performance you get out of those chips. But uh, the next thing is the dimensioned uh, the SSD. The SSD news is not new, right? They, they, they mentioned it last time they were going to use SSDs. Uh, that SSDs will be faster, and because raw read, like raw read speed, will be dramatically faster. I mean, that's obvious. But uh, the implication in this article is that we're they were not going to be seeing a NVMe based SSD solution, but rather something more integrated onto the motherboard. Which is it? Which would make sense because the way they're talking about read and write speeds, it sounds like they need a faster interconnect than NVMe over PCI. Yeah, so or, I, uh, SATA, yeah. Yeah, um, definitely SATA. <laughs> but I, which which I don't think is a bad thing only for upgradability because while the um PS5 right it's not super easy to open up, you can't open it up and just clone the hard drive and you know and you know um put in a bigger one. And you could ditto you can also do it for the Xbox. Because the Xbox actually Microsoft online hosts a um like a little flasher for Xbox OS. That you can flash to any hard drive, like they have recovery images for like Windows, right? They they also host them just in case you like you accidentally break your Xbox somehow and you need to replace the hard drive, um, just for like self service. You can grab that for them, so you can actually open up an Xbox, swap out the hard drive, um, and put in like an SSD as it currently exists. Over it is over SATA, so you're not going to get like the full speeds of yeah, it. Yeah, but it'll it'll be faster. It'll definitely sure. be faster. Yeah. Which I honestly am considering on mine, but but that it sort of kills that upgradability, right? Because at, at that point, that means you're only going to have external drives, and I highly doubt. As much as as much as um, pull out your bingo cards here. As much as I love Thunderbolt three, I highly doubt that any of the of these consoles are going to have Thunderbolt three. USB C, USB C. I think I have a good. I feel like the maybe not the PS five per se because it's Sony. I have more confidence in Microsoft including only USB C ports on the next Xbox. But I don't think they're going to go, what was it, USB Super Speed 4.0? It's definitely going to be USB 3.0, but it's going to be 3.1, right? I don't think they're going to be doing um, any of the USB 4 Super Super Speed, whatever it's called, stuff that we talked about a while back. Yeah. uh, And also, another thing about the physical disk, the physical format, uh, 100, 100 gigabyte optical discs which are i think the uhd blu-rays that they use right now for 4k movies it's going to officially support it now because the current ps4 and ps4 pro cannot do um 4k blu-ray no, playback uh, but the xbox one x can i think yes and the uh, xbox one s the one s and the one x both have blu-ray drives that can read um those higher capacity blu-rays which still doesn't matter because like most games are more than a hundred gigs nowadays. Yeah, and and they, they they download patches after you put the disc in, right? Like it's uh, that's the thing. Uh, yeah, and honestly, playing if the SSD is fast enough, like I don't even know why you'd want to play a game off of a disc, right? If it's because it's still going to be way slower than. Um, I mean, doesn't the PS4 like just copy the contents onto the? So it's like you just you, yeah, it's just a disc is disc will save you download. Like download time, so it'll like like if you're if your quota limited, uh, which is which is a problem because games are big now. Like games are like hundred gigs, and some people's quotas might be like five terabyte. 
five ooh, maybe in Canada. I know in the US it's mostly a terabyte. I mean, depends on yeah, yeah, it's terabyte, but a hundred hundred gigs is like one tenth, right? One tenth of your fucking monthly quota. So it's like it's that's that's gonna be yeah, Honestly, yeah. I would be more I would I would be not more say, but like happier if they started including like smart compression somehow in like the with games where if you're playing like say on a 1080p TV, what there really isn't any need to download the highest quality textures. Or honestly, if and I believe since HDMI is a digital signal, you can detect what devices are plugged in, right? If the console detects that you're only playing on TV speakers and not on a soundbar or a surround system, like it might be worth it just to like install a compressed version of the audio that's only mixed for stereo, right? Rather than a full surround. Yeah, that that would that would require reworking of I think video game engines. So it's like Well, would this be like wouldn't it be like piecemeal audio files? Like the same way like the same way that I don't say, think it's um, as simple as that. Because... I mean not as simple I mean it's like but there's like a technical solution for it, right? This isn't I mean, like an yes, impossible but... problem. Because you would just be like if if these are the devices that are connected to it, then like you can maybe compromise and use like a more compressed version of the game given, you know, what it's going to be played on. Sort of like how for Switch games, right? For the Switch games, they usually do like compressed audio and compressed textures, but it's not really a problem because the screen's so small on the device. Like not everyone's to be playing on a 4K TV, even with this new generation. So I feel like there are, there should like honestly the fact that the Xbox forces you to download 4K assets for every single game is really annoying. Where like I mean like render it out at 4K, yes, but you're super sampling it down to 1080p to begin with, so the textures won't really appear blurry because it's not like where I'm not viewing them at native res. So so the other thing that they mentioned is that like games are going to be integrated into the dashboard, like like you can join like a game server, like multiplayer game server. Like in real time from the dashboard, like is, I think that's the implication that the attorney is talking about. It's like, uh, like single player games will provide information, like what missions you could do, like uh, so sort of like a Google Assistant for yes, uh, for basically, games. yeah. It's this, which is well, I mean, that would require integration with the game. So I would imagine first party games are going to do a better job of that. Then this also sounds like what Microsoft's been trying to build the Xbox dashboard, but has failed for this entire generation. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, if, if if Sony actually succeeds in this, uh, that would be pretty cool. Like, it's a pretty cool concept. In theory, uh, implementation will be a theatrical problem. The the DualShock Five, right? Uh, they didn't they didn't give it a name yet. I think is that, but they did say that it's going to have something called adaptive triggers, which is uh, it can offer different levels of resistance to make. For immersion, basically, right? Like if you're if you're playing, so you could just like increase the level of tension uh, to say like shooting a bow and arrow. So it's like I don't know how I feel about this. I'm not I'm not a big fan of this actually. Um, well, it depends on the on the haptics. I yeah, guess, but, it's it's. But if Sony keeps using their horrible um, controller setup, like it doesn't matter because if I if I'm if I'm correct and. Please, please let me know if I'm wrong. DualShock Four doesn't it have like the Nintendo Switch style triggers instead of the Xbox style, or did they switch to it where? Because basically, you know what I mean, right? Xbox it sort of like curves going up, and the Switch it's flat or it curves down on the Pro controller. What is it on the DualShock Four? It's flat. Oh, well, it's yeah, it's flat. The two, the R R one and R two. The R one and R two buttons are are like flat, and like the triggers are like. They don't curve up, right? It's the opposite of the Xbox, so they curve like down, right? No, they don't curve up. No, 
Uh, they curve. They're they're they're, they're straight. They're, they don't curve. Uh, so it's like the that sounds. I don't know that with like haptic feedback just sounds weird. Like I feel like that only works if you do it how the Xbox controller does it. What else? Uh, haptic feedback. Uh, do you think there's gonna be more RGB on the next? iteration of console because 2013 not. the world wasn't enamored of rgb mm, i don't think so uh but like what games are they talking about did they mention any games they mentioned uh the developer of the uh the, the people who worked on the last year's uh shadow of the colossus game right uh, they're working on another game i guess Ooh, team Ico, right Team Ico, yeah, I think Team Ico is the one that did the remake of Shadow of the Colossus, right? Uh, yeah, they made, uh, what was it, Icarus and Shadow of the Colossus? Uh, I don't think there, there's anything else. Like, these these pieces are, like, piecemeal information about the console. It's, like, a year ahead. Uh, we'll figure out we'll, more and more details, I suppose, would be at E3, like, not E3, because Sony is not going to be doing I think E3. Sony's just doing, like, a slow drip feed sort of thing. Just to help fight leaks too, right? Yes, they're not doing E3, so uh, they are just doing this. Uh, so I guess we'll be back with this whenever. Whenever there's more Wired, the next Wired article comes next, out. Next Wired exclusive article about the Probably six months, right? Because the original was in April, and then now in October. So I imagine sometime in February? So that's the that's the PS the PS five. Next up is the is, is I guess the main topic, the biggest topic, that are basically the only big News, well, big tech only news. Uh, Mac OS Catalina. So this is the last of the OS Apple OS release, big OS releases, major version releases this year. Uh, it is out. It is available. Uh, it is. Like it is. Let's just talk about like the the system requirements. So it is. They cut off. Uh, what did they cut off? They cut off. More, they didn't cut off as many as they did last year, right? Like they, I feel like it's any computer for 2012 onwards can run this. That's like there's a couple of holdouts, like the old Mac Pro, not the trash can, but the cheese grater one. But it's 2012 is like the year of, of you know if you have a computer before then you can't run Catalina, which is fair. I mean, I feel like seven years of compatibility, six seven years is still pretty good, and it's not as if you know Mojave is going to stop being supported, right? Because you're going to get security updates for the next two years. Yeah. Uh, so basically, everything that that runs Mojave mostly will be able to upgrade to Catalina. So that that's. I think there are specific features that are re- restricted, like uh, hardware acceleration for. Like sidecar, right? You need no, no, not H2. sidecar, not sidecar. Uh, HEVC video encoding. I think that's restricted to sixth generation. Mostly because the Intel chip, right? Like you, you, they have hardware cores for it. Otherwise, you're doing like software, software decoding of it, and software decoding of it would be super slow or encoding rather. Uh, so let's start with the biggest thing about uh, this this release, and this is actually a huge deal. I feel like it's it's, it's such a big deal. This is actually one of the biggest macOS releases in in the way that it breaks compatibility for applications since uh since what since uh when was the last time they broke something huge? the switch from intel from power pc where they stopped supporting power pc uh, yeah probably that uh, no so no the- actually they had the software it's when they killed rosetta because they had a, a, a an emulation layer 
no, Carbon was died with 32-bit, but Rosetta was power PC app. So that means like any classic Mac OS apps, right? Those stopped working when they killed Rosetta because Rosetta essentially would be like sort of how Windows 10 on ARM, right? Can run x86 code, but in, in an emulation layer. That's what Rosetta was. And they removed that, I believe, Leopard, Snow Leopard around there. That was taken out of the system. All right, so... So this, yeah. So the so the thing that's coming with Catalina is is the end of thirty two bit apps, right? Which means that all any any apps that were uh, still thirty two bit, if you have like really old apps that are that haven't been updated in a while, they they might be thirty two bit, right? I think when you when you go to upgrade. It'll tell you. It'll tell you if you upgrade, these apps will not work. And it'll let you not. And also, if you roll into it and you decide that some apps doesn't, with APFS, uh, Bell's, Bell here, <laughs> with APFS, it actually takes a snapshot of your disk right before you hit upgrade, and you can easily roll back to the release. So, so if you, so I would so if like just like an upgrade note with with APFS now. If you do upgrade and you find for whatever reason you need to go back to Mojave, you can roll back without losing any data. Granted, if you didn't create generate any data in the time rate between you upgrading your OS and you rolling back, but you, the OS does keep a snapshot of the prior system. So, so yeah, this is this is a big deal. So, did any did any apps break for you? Uh, no, or, uh, no, right? No apps broke for me. Um, there's I've seen like we, we have to note too. Apple's been telling people for four three years now that this is going to happen with Sierra. With Sierra, Apple was like, "Hey, thirty two bit apps." Stop making them. In a couple releases, we're removing it from the OS. And and there's like Wacom tablets, right? Singtex don't work in Catalina because Wacom decided until October, August of this year to release a beta of their driver that supports Catalina. That's 64 bit. And and I get I see people on Twitter who are upset about it. I understand, right? Like you upgrade and the thing you use to work is no longer functioning, right? The thing that helps you do your job. But at the same time, like I I can't put the blame on Apple on this one because it's not as if Apple snapped their fingers and it's gone. We've known for almost half a decade now, right? Like, well, they've been indicating. So in 2017 is when they said, yes, 32-bits going away. But they started depreciating a bunch of 32-bit stuff way back, like three, four year releases yeah, ago. Yeah, and if a developer is not ready or like if the app is not maintained it's it's not really like apple's fault at this point right the only the only people i do feel bad for though are the folks who don't use creative cloud and are using the standalone versions of adobe's apps because i think cs6 cs5 whatever the last version of standalone photoshop doesn't function a hundred properly on catalina because it's like because even regular creative cloud right now there are 32-bit parts of photoshop that get called upon that just don't work so certain tools in photoshop won't load because adobe never made it 100 percent 64-bit this happens every time adobe like not this time every time apple makes like a huge change like this and then adobe is behind because their application is huge and they aren't able to maintain all parts of it properly right yeah uh also use pixelmator pro pixelmator pro is great i use it it's uh <laughs> it's fair to say that if you use creative suit you probably want to hold off, right? Like, yeah, basically, like if you so the people I would say right now for this transition who are okay upgrading are folks like me, right? Most of my apps are from the Mac App Store, and all my most of my creative tools are Apple's, right? I use Logic, I use um, the photo editor I use from the Mac App Store, um, the you know, I use BB Edit I get from the Mac App Store, that's my text editor. So, like, all the apps I use are either made by like you know, reputable third party Mac developers who are Indian, you know, tend to care about 
the quality of their software. And my productivity apps come from Apple. So I'm pr- I was pretty good. I had no apps except for one application I used for loudness metering that was built in like 2012 on GitHub. It was a random GitHub page. There's only been one build of it. it hasn't been touched in like seven years. And I re- and it broke like two releases ago anyways. And I've really been needing to find a new tool. So like, it's not even like it's... It, that's on me for not looking for a new tool because it's been it's been broken. It's, if it's an open source app, you could clone it and open it in Xcode and see if you can compile it for sixty four bit. I mean, if it, it might be possible. Well, it's a wrapper for a command line tool, and that command line tool still works. So I honestly could just use the command line tool. And so, like, I mean, so there's, saying, there's a workaround for it. If you're up yeah. for if you're up for spelunking in Xcode. Uh, I mean, honestly, I need I've it hasn't had dark mode support ever, so like I really I should probably take the time to do that. But the the other bit I need I feel like we need to touch upon with this is um I think a lot of folks are asking right they're like why is Apple doing this? I can run a program released in like I can run Word one on Windows ten, and it's important to note a lot of the reasons Windows is super fucky is because Microsoft maintains so much backwards compatibility of Win32, right? Like, it's a blessing and a curse. Yes, can you run games from, like, can you run the original Doom on Modified, kind of, on Windows 10? Absolutely. But the amount of attack vectors that increases, right? The amount of just general, like, just just code you need to have and how much... If Windows only ran UWP apps, right? Like, let's say, like, if Windows... let's say, For example, right? If Windows 10 only ran UWP apps, nobody would use it, yeah. But it would also be lightning quick, right? The operating system would last forever on battery life. It would be super secure and it would be so much more pleasant to use than regular Windows because none of that cruft is there, which is part of the reason when we were talking about last week with the Surface Duo that Microsoft is in fact um it's called they are they are compartmentalizing Windows, right? Where Win32 is a core aspect that you can load in, right? It's like a plugin you can load into Windows. They're compartmentalizing the whole operating system for the fact of that at a certain point, Win32 is going to die, right? Like that's like the fact that Microsoft hasn't killed it now. I I have a feeling that in the consumer version of Windows 10, eventually Microsoft's going to start depreciating support for Win32 because how it works right now on Windows 10X um, they really they got into it on the Windows Central podcast that I think I mentioned as well last week is that when you load up a Win32 app, it runs it in a container. So it basically loads the, all the Win32 libraries just to run that application and shuts it down and turns it off and makes it read-only when, when the application is not running and you're not running a Win32 application. And each application that is a Win32 app gets its own instance of a Win32 container, which is how I envision Microsoft making Win32 apps work going forward instead of like a Win32 layer that just sits in the operating system that they're going to start containerizing all of those applications for the fact of that you likely don't take that much of a hit of performance with you know modern um with modern CPUs and it is so much safer to do that and that's you know th- and th- that's all the work that they had to do just to maintain that backwards compatibility on Apple's side with I with I you know how people use Mac OS, you either have it, people tend to be good at maintaining compatibility for new versions of Macs, right? And I feel like it's a different culture there. Where what Mac software from twenty years ago would you use in your everyday life that like would make sense, right? A lot of a lot of businesses and enterprises that have like a Mac version of their deployments likely use one of those VMware tools to emulate older versions of windows to run one like enterprise application or 
or if you're like um, if you use like some specific enterprise software, they're likely using Wine or or the crossover tools to deploy that out to their users. I don't think there's a lot of Mac software outside outside of like Adobe and some shitty developers who really didn't care to upgrade to 64-bit until their users got fucked. That is like 32-bit and is mission critical. So yeah, so this one is 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 gonna be. It's, it depends on what you use. So before you go into it, right um, on on five twelve pixels, uh, there's there's an app called Go sixty four, right? Uh, yep. It will show you. It's a free app, right? It will show you what thir- what thirty two bit apps are on your system, right? So you, so you can take a look, see if you can or cannot upgrade, right? It's also uh, a great way to check what random garbage applications you've installed on your system that left random helper apps that never got removed when you installed them. Like, if you remove Google Chrome from your system, Google Updater stays on your system and will continue to ping out. Yeah. Ditto for yeah. Microsoft Office. Yeah, Microsoft Office Updater, Chrome Updater, yeah, stuff like that. So, you know, go go download that if you are if you are not sure. Uh, if if you if you are using apps that are likely to be not working in Catalina, like like old apps that have been been updated or old versions of Adobe older software. versions like Ableton, also too a lot of music producers. Um, as a side note, music producers don't upgrade for the moment because um, with um, what we're going to talk about in a moment, but since we're talking about compatibility, a lot of DJ apps read iTunes XML files for the playlist, which is as a side note, objectively a garbage way of doing it. Because Apple said like six years ago, stop doing that. Here's an API to do it. And if you if your application used that new API, it would not break with this transition. But if you kept reading the iTunes XML files, because why would you? Because they, it would like literally read iTunes database. They changed how the database works, so those apps broke. So until your um, app fixes support for that, I would hold off from that. But like once again, right? Like while there's like a lot of compatibility issues here, I don't. Like I'm okay. I, I'm more than happy to say like if Apple is fucking up here, but I don't think they're fucking up because a like I don't know like why it's six. Most processors are 64 bit nowadays. Like it doesn't make sense to keep supporting 32 bit. There's no business critical enterprise Mac applications that are 32 bit only. The it's only like Mac nerds and some productivity apps are they're like multi platform that for one reason or another never got properly updated. However, a more interesting bit that I do want to talk about is a little bit related to this is the gatekeeper stuff. Okay, um, yes. So gatekeeper is the thing. I was going to get to that, actually. But yeah, the gatekeeper is has been enhanced, or rather, it has been added to, right? It has another check, right, this time. Um, gatekeeper is, by the way, is the, is the thing that, like, it's basically like... Windows, Windows safe screen? Sm- smart yeah. screen. Smart screen. Smart screen, yep. Uh, it checks applications like for signatures, right? For and this time, it's uh, applications are gonna start require like Apple is gonna start requiring notarization, right? And notarization is essentially that you you basically what is it? You submit something to Apple, right? And they you basically you- submit the build to Apple, and Apple signs it themselves with another signature that's only crypto like, generated from an apple it's like a valid apple certificate and it'll allow you if you download an app from the um from the web it'll allow you to run it without giving you any issues correct um and that's the thing that's been happening in de- mac developers that are not not 
greatly pleased. I, I guess not all of them, uh, because it, it just adds more work, right? And it's it's just it's not it's not uh, minimal work. It's actually fairly significant. You have to do, you have to like change your build process or like you know your workflow. And you can you can automate it, but only if you have a Mac. You can like do like a if you have like a Mac for doing that build automations, right? You can automate notarization. It's just that you can't like set up a Linux box, right, and do like a notarization from there. And I, I imagine like a lot of you know developers who have like build boxes, right, just for automatically continuous authority, whatever it's CA, whatever it's called, that you continuous continuously building um, builds that you really can't do with notarization. But I'm of like two minds on it, right? Because I guess from like a from like a free software perspective. I have issue if Apple was to say that hey you can't run code that you compiled yourself on your computer without being notarized I would have an issue with that but that's not the case right it's for it's for distributed binaries right so so like I'm not that upset about it because I don't I guess I guess in terms of like me as like if I put on my Linux user hat for a second like I've always seen it where it's like you're encroaching on user freedoms when you prevent them from running code that they compiled right from running philosophically whereas i understand for like random apps and binaries downloaded from the internet that that's how people get malware you know you get malware downloading random shit off the internet like that's an objective fact that's the biggest attack vendor for for a vector for getting malware and them saying that hey we're going to make it pretty difficult for a user. To, a user could still run the app if it's not notarized, but we're going to make it pretty difficult for them unless you use our notarization service. It speeds it up. I don't. I as I, I get that it's annoying developers, but I don't feel like it's as big of a problem as some of these game developers are making it out to be. And some developers on Twitter are right. Uh, there are. There's also the thing about the notarization checking out, being the being an Apple server, obviously, right uh, and what happens if the Apple server is down for an extended period of time? Like, what happens then? Can you still launch your apps? Like, what? No, you can what launch your it? apps. It's only for initial launch. It's only when you download the binary and it, and you initially launch it. That's when Gatekeeper kicks in. Gatekeeper is not used for running software that's already been authenticated, right? And you can also run apps that are like because I believe there's like a local version of it, right? I think I know it still picks out to the server. Yeah, there's, there's like a cat. There's cash certificates, right? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a concern because it's reaching out to an external network. I mean, it's reaching out to Apple's network uh, to a server, uh, an organization server, and uh, how reliable that is. It's it's, but yeah, like that's the thing. I'm not too bothered by it. Like, I I think it's 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 fine. Like Windows, Windows. Like every time, like every time you run an unsigned application on Windows, by the way. It it'll let you know. It'll be like, hey, this application is is unsigned. Are you sure you want to run this? Like it'll it'll be like run anyway, right? Uh, it'll be like, okay, cool. And then it'll ask you only once, right? Uh, it won't ask you multiple times. So yeah, like it's it's basically the same thing. Uh, there are, there are definitely Windows applications that don't sign, right? Because you have to buy a signing certificate, and not every developer wants to do that for for whatever reason. So. And I think there's also a cost option for it because if I'm correct, I don't actually think you need to pay for an Apple developer account to do notarization. I feel like that's some of the some of the the not like fun per se, but some people have been like, oh yeah, now we have to pay Apple a hundred dollars a year just to do it. I don't actually think you need you need a developer account, but I don't believe you need a paid developer account to do it. So I'm actually I'm checking right now. I might be a liar. We, I, you might need to actually pay a hundred dollars a year to 
That's from what I'm looking. I'm looking at my. I'm looking here, and I don't. I'm not seeing it here. Let's see. I think it like it would make sense. It would be a like a hundred dollar a year feature, uh, rather. Uh, like you have to be, you have to pay Apple to be. Like the whole whole point of notarization is also that it verifies the developer's identity, right? Like it, it like it has like a like well, not verifies it. It gives the developer a little bit more credence in Apple's uh, view, and to do that, Apple has to have some sort of verification process, and the verification mm. process would so, be the, yeah. So it does look like you do have to pay it, um, from what I'm seeing, but. You, so here's the way, though. If you are using a Mac and you are trying to run an app that's not notarized, you can do the way where you disable system integrity protection and disable Gatekeeper, which is, A, a horrible idea, because Gatekeeper also checks for malware on your system. And even if you download a clean binary, sometimes they're modified in transit, right? It might be a man-in-the-middle attack, anything like that, that the bits you're getting downloaded include that malware. So bad idea. Please don't disable Gatekeeper or, or system integrity protection. Yes. But if you go to um, you if your computer if you're logged in as administrator, go to system preferences, security. It's going to say actually on that general page there. Hey, this is you're trying to open app from an unidentified developer. Got to click open. It's like it might be unsecure. Click open anyways, and it'll allow you to run that application. Is it annoying? Yes, but I get most of your apps from the Mac App Store. Like that's probably like the best way to handle it. Like if it went in doubt, I mean the Mac App Store is not a great time. It's 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 not. I mean it's fine. It's it's. But like, what apps? What apps are people going to be using that rule don't require? Like that people won't do gatekeeping gatekeeper with, right? Because I imagine it's likely going to be like games on itch, visual novels, maybe, and some third party Mac software. Like I feel like it's going to be pretty rare, just for the fact of that. Like I don't like if you're using a Catalyst app, that's going to be notarized, right? Because I don't. I mean, yeah, any Apple apps, any anything, everything else, like any de- developers that do like. Back apps for obviously it's fine, but like he's like the one I saw on Twitter. This one developer was like, "Now I have to get a Mac to actually like notarize my Mac app," and I was just like, "Like the subtext of that is, you make official Mac builds for your application, but you don't test them." <laughs> like that's what it just sounded like. What do you like? The subtext I got from that is like, so this means you aren't testing your software. I mean, maybe the software is very simple and it's not a big deal. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not trying to judge developers here uh, because I don't know them. But uh, that's that's just. There's a lot more to cover. Let's. This is a topic that uh, we can go on for a long time. But let's move on. Uh, what else? The so voice control is a big deal. Actually, the voice control is uh, is an accessibility feature. It is. It is basically you can address any section of your screen. Right, using voice, right, and it is apparently pretty damn good, right? Uh, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a piece on Mac Stories by Stephen Aquino uh, about about the the about the feature, uh, and I'm gonna put a link in, put the link to that in the show notes because it is it is a feature on iOS as well, right? The voice control feature, and uh, it is um, like I haven't tried it, but you know, uh, so. It's pretty great because essentially what it does is that um, you'll say like you bring up the voice controls and it turns all the clickable buttons into numbers. So you'll just say the number and it'll do that action. And But guess what? You want to know what kind of application this completely breaks on and does not work at all? Adobe? Electron. Oh, okay. Because Electrons are just loading web views the, um, and it's not hooking into AppKit or any like system or like any system like calls right for what buttons are. The system has no idea. I'm, I mean, we're not getting the Electron discourse, but this is pretty bad. 
This is pretty bad. I mean, there's no electron discourse because it's an objective fact that electrons are bad for accessibility. Yeah, it's, obje- it's, it's electrons bad for accessibility. And if we, this feature, if you, okay, so if you're building an electron app for Mac OS, you know, consider this. Consider this in your assessment of. Yeah, uh, and, maybe, and maybe instead of going electron, go into the next bit I want to talk about Catalyst. <sighs> All right, let's get into that. that that's the whole thing. And, uh, and it is actually probably one of the bigger things. Catalyst uh, is is what Apple is calling a transitional thing, I guess, a series of technologies. It used to be called Marzipan, right? Uh, the internal code name. Uh, these are iPad apps on the Mac, right? Uh, so which apps are on here? So there is the ones that were there before, the, the home app, right? The uh, – what else? Uh, home app. Home, so it's gonna be home, voice memos, stocks, Apple News, podcasts, and I believe that is it. No, iTunes, iTunes and music are AppKit apps. Okay, oh, okay. So I thought music was. Oh no, music is uh, yeah, a native AppKit app. So it's like, I mean, native is a relative term, right? Catalyst is also technically, yeah. Well, so they are native, right? Yeah, these are all like native code. They're so. I guess the traditional is how we might want to describe a split because. Like Electron apps aren't native apps because it's just like a container of Google Chrome running a website, right? With a web server. But these are native apps because they're Apple has moved. Like there's these are x86 I, I, libraries to run this added to Mac yeah. OS. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the which ones should we start with? So we're gonna talk about. Uh... Let's start from the worst to the best. I would say. So from the worst, I'm gonna lump in last year's apps. So news, home, um, stocks, and voice memos have not gotten better. Yeah, what is what is, what is this? Like, why is those apps are um, pretty pretty hot hot garbage? Yeah, I, like when when they introduced them last year, I thought like, okay, surely this is just uh, like you know them them just these are like early versions of these. Like they're gonna improve these with the next version, and they they haven't. Like they just they just uh, ship them. Uh, because there's not the issue, right? It's like there's a lot of iOS isms in there, and right now that means we have a mix of like two UI metaphors. And performance has been extremely improved, but sort of because you would think, right, that if you create a Catalyst app, it'll convert automatically, right? If I call a button, it won't look give me an iOS looking button. It'll give me like an app kit looking button, right? That looks like a regular Mac app and I can customize it from there if I need to, but it doesn't do that. And that's the, I, that's the important piece of Catalyst that's making it hard for a lot of developers to migrate their apps over because you're essentially getting an iPad layout and a window with, with no work done by Apple and you just modifying that. It'll just, it just runs as is. And that gives you a lot of weirdness because we have, say, the um, news app where the font size is a little bit off. Like you can still definitely see those iOSs in terms of like the blurred backgrounds and sort of the transitions and how like the share sheets work. Um, and but when you get up to podcast, though, podcast looks just like the music app, but one's written in AppKit, one's written in UIKit. You can't, you you could not tell like right which is the. UI kit app and which is the app kit app um, until you open up settings because if you go to settings and podcasts that's where the iOS shows uh, apparently the podcast app is missing like features like you can't import OPMLs uh, you can't uh... yeah stuff you can't do in the iPad app right that you yeah. can do in iTunes mm-hmm. but I think like uh, I feel like importing OPMLs is like a pretty niche feature at this I point I mean yeah it is it is but it is also like 
Yeah, that's true. I mean, the, the, the iOS version doesn't have it. So it makes sense this doesn't have it either. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Like, if you use podcasts, I think you will be fine with the app that they ship. In my- I think it's a good app, though. I actually, I think it's a good app. I, I, I'm so I switched from um, Overcast to regular podcast while I was like for the past week just to see right like how it works, and I think it's good. It's acceptable, right? Like, there's, it's not. Is it is it like the world's best application? No, but I don't. This is a perfectly serviceable piece of software, and I think for sort of the 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 um, scope that Apple needs their own podcast app to function in, it's perfectly fine. So, I. I actually I think that like for Catalyst this year though I think what they really did was just they they worked on performance instead of working on anything else which I don't know if that's that that was the worst call I think that might have been a good call because given you know obviously we want everything to be you know click a button and you get you know as Mac like as possible and you just kind of have to tweak it from there to make it you know everything good and make nothing like weird and broken but ideally like or you know, like r- realistically given the sort of the time and how crunched all of these software teams for this year i think it was the right choice to improve performance rather than give a better stock conversion even if that does make it a little bit rough for some of the developers because catalyst apps aren't buggy right they're not crashing they're not buggy they're stable they just look weird and i think and you can fix that right because you can you can replace bits of the iOS with with Mac life stuff. You just, you just have to do it yourself. Apple's not doing it for you, and that's you know obviously it's more work for a developer. But you know it just looks bad. Like it just makes Apple look bad because their apps are bad. Like on on a, on a one of their platforms, right? Like I I don't think it's it's like from a technical perspective, yeah, like sure. But it, like if your app has like a iOS thing and it's not running on a Mac and it, it looks like. Apple didn't care. Like it, it looks. It doesn't look good. Like the, the PR perspective is not good. That's fair. That's fair. But hear me out, though. Hear me out. They're still better than Microsoft stock UWP apps. Have you ever used the Mail app on Windows 10? Have you ever dipped into any of those UWP apps? Open one right now, please. Open one right now. Let's. We we can do a comparison. Weather. I'll, I just open weather, which is the simplest app. Uh, it's fine. I mean, it's pretty basic though. It's like. Well, it's not basic actually. It has it has it updated at some point, I guess. Uh, it has more features. Um, <laughs> I never use it though. So it, I mean, it, 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 there is a live tile, right? And I never open it. It's just there on the live tile. Like I, like it basically serves as a widget. It's not. It's not. I never look at the full app. Uh, but yeah, like yeah, it's not great. I'm, I don't use macOS anymore. So it's all of this is just like, yeah, sure. I, well, like, I, I guess, and maybe this is a poor way to view um, Catalyst, but better than Electron. Yeah, because I, you know, I was looking, I was looking at all of the, all of like these negatives, and then I looked at the RAM usage, and I'm like, okay, you know what? Fuck it, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I looked at RAM usage, and I'm like, wow, that's, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, hey, just Swift. U, it's just Swift UI, right? It's, it's just Swift. No, no, no. Right? Swift UI is different. So, oh, uh, it's just oh, it's Swift, right? Or is it just objective? No, it's both. It's Objective-C oh. and Swift. There's no, there's no limitation for Catalyst. So and it's an important part to note, right? The difference between Catalyst and SwiftUI. Because SwiftUI negates Catalyst. Catalyst just ports UIKit over to macOS. Aha. Uh-huh. So SwiftUI is its own. It's, it's the next it's generation. Its own, yeah, it's a yeah. new UI framework that will automatically work on both by default. So if you build a SwiftUI app, it'll run on macOS, but not in a Catalyst container. It'll just display as like, sort of like an app kit style application and ideally that's once that becomes more developed because it's still very basic at the moment that's where 
that's where you'd ideally want to start a new Mac iOS project just because you get that scalability. Because right now, not with Objective-C, but with Swift on the back end, I, you remember the, um, there's this one app I was working, I forgot the name of it a while back, like a Jorts app. That was like two years ago. I was working <laughs> oh, on yeah, Jorts yeah. app. Yeah, yeah. And that one, the core logic, those Swift files will run on Mac OS and iOS and Watch OS and iPad OS and TV OS. It's just that you had to rewrite the UI for each platform. So Catalyst lets you, you take an existing UI kit app and move it over to macOS. And then SwiftUI is, if you write an app in SwiftUI, it'll scale to all the platforms. So SwiftUI is more UWP than, than Catalyst is. Catalyst is more of the Project Astoria, was it, that allows you to you turn UI calls into UWP calls for, um, for, for Windows 10, which is still an existing project. You can still actually do that. I believe that's how Facebook builds out their um, Windows 10 apps. Yeah. Uh, there, there, there are other apps that there, we're going to talk about. Uh, me, do, do you use music on macOS? I uh, do, I do, and I'm. This is so much better than iTunes. So much better. Okay, so that's that's what that was my question because I, the only version of iTunes I have used is the like the one that I have installed on Windows, uh, which is still the old version, by the way. So I still have that, and that the Apple has to support that for as long as they support Windows because most. Most iPhone users actually just use Windows. Well, uh, what they could do is, and what I imagine they're going to do is actually they can depreciate iTunes for the new web version of Apple Music that rolled out. On on Windows? No, they didn't still need it for the syncing stuff, probably. Uh, well, which, so, yes. I mean, yeah, which I is, don't, what you could do is break it up in applications, right? You could just have a dedicated syncing application. I... I think Apple's Windows side an application is like I feel like it's like a small team that's not like really built. The uh, reason I have faith in the Windows side getting better is because Apple Music on Android is more of a native app than Spotify is, right? Like it's built using like regular material components. It apparently is super fast. It like has built-in cast support, completely feature complete versus with all the other Apple Music clients. Like what I've heard from people who use Apple Music on Android, it's like it's it has a proper tablet layout, which is which is which you can which is more than a lot of Android apps do. Yeah, like it has like it's a well built Android app. So that 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 gives me that gives me like hope for the Windows situation getting better. Possibly, but uh, when the Windows application, the iTunes Windows app, has always felt like it was sort of like a, the ignored child. It felt a little. But um, I think it's in Apple's best interest though, to have a proper Apple Music client that works everywhere. I agree, actually. I think that they should make the iTunes Windows client better because more people use iTunes on Windows than they do on Mac. I mean, they also could too, right? If they really want to say, fuck it, they could just take that Apple Music web app and throw it in a... Throw it in in a, an Electron in a, in a app? Web. Yeah. Oh, Apple, if Apple starts that using That would be Electron, the greatest I'm, honor, I'm, irony. And the blogs will never shut up about that. Like uh, like the, the ATP podcast episode on that would be great. I mean, actually, imagine if iTunes was like a, a UWP app, that'd actually be pretty dope. That would, I mean, they did make like a... Like a Windows Store version of iTunes. Yeah, but that runs in a container. That runs in a Win32 container. Right, right. But they did make one, so they could, in theory, go full all in and make a UWP app. But we'll see. Uh, what else? Is there any other any other big changes? Oh, yeah, syncing on iOS, on Mac, sorry, Mac OS, is, is now in the Finder, right? Uh, which, so you, uh, which makes sense, yeah. Yes. Uh, I think that's that's good actually because it, it makes sense because it's basically moving files between your devices. It's not it's not doing like in, as much as it used to. Thinking back in the day, it was more involved and you had to use it all the time. Um, 
I think like you had to, and didn't at some point like you had to update iOS with iTunes? Yeah, like, originally yeah. you couldn't. There's no OTA update. There was no like OTA update. Yeah, so you had to like plug in your phone, and then it'll it would like iTunes would download the update, and then it would uh, apply the update, which is which is the whole thing. By the way, that was a long time ago. Um, what reminders? Uh, Finally got updated to the um, the iOS one, which is really good. Um, it's like in general, like outside of like these core changes, like Catalina is a pretty solid release for other Mac features. It's just that you know these are some big holdouts for folks that use their computers for um, actual work. But like in in general, like I'm actually I think this is I'm pretty positive about this release. I ended up upgrading on day one just because I saw that none of my software was going to be incompatible. So I was like, you know, fuck it, we'll try it. And I haven't had any issues. Logic was a little bit crashy, and then there's a day one patch fixed all the issues. And I I think that these this this is an important direction just for the fact of that. Apple's changing macOS to work how people actually work, right? Like the the changes they're making make sense for the modern world. Like you as much as as much as the in technology enthusiast me wants to be like, yeah, like we should be able to run software from everywhere. Like that's a consistently been a bad idea. <laughs> I mean every Windows. Time, Windows is an time. example <laughs> of that, right? Like Windows uh has like you could just run stuff off the internet, like just binary easy download of the internet. Like it's uh, it's a thing. <laughs> Windows will still let you do that, by the way. It'll just be like, hey, you sure you want to run this unsigned binary that you just downloaded? Uh, <laughs> Are you sure you want to download this unsigned binary of Audacity underscore triple X edition from from download.ru.ca? Uh, uh, yeah, like, like Windows will let you run it, but it'll still be like, hey, don't. Consider, maybe maybe don't <laughs> maybe don't maybe and like the, and microsoft had such a hard time convincing people to go to the windows store because even now right like google could put chrome in the windows store like actually i think maybe not maybe not chrome but there's a lot of windows apps that could just be put in the windows store and for one reason or another aren't because microsoft has win32 compatibility it's like a very stubborn market yeah but develop windows developers are just like fu- like fuck you microsoft we're just gonna keep doing what we're doing because it still works right why why change when we don't have to right and i think that's i think like the reckoning because like this is pretty hard for some people but it's not as bad because the mac app store exists and apple's been working on approving it and there's like a lot of because if you have an app that was properly built for mojave you're you're not going to run into the issue of mac os vista right where every application is asking for notification permissions and all of that because apple changed it apple ended up building out the sandbox more right where some folders on the system and the user directory have to be approved on a per folder basis um like downloads you have to give access to downloads and if they want documents you also give access to documents right there's some microphone access camera access it's also starting to get broken up by app by app and has to be approved sort of how it is on ios which isn't bad. And if you already built your app properly for Mojave, you you won't run into this problem. Because well, I'll change... I'll, we're going to include a link to the screenshot where this guy had a bunch of windows open and a bunch of notifications asking for his apps for like permissions to do things. But that's such a rare... I did not run into that. I Yeah, I mean, it's not as... like I did update some apps and they updated apps for notification permissions. Uh, and like... Uh, yeah, basically just notification permissions. And uh, and I get it. It's like it's a fine balance, right? Because you don't want to you don't want to give too many too many notification prompts because people just say yes to everything. But but like like I said, like and I I believe that most people who use Macs are like this, right? You're a probably using Google Chrome, using Office, and anything else. You're probably grabbing it from the Mac App Store, like maybe Discord, right? Like and those apps 
those apps are are only going to ask you for notification permissions and microphone permissions. And that makes sense. I feel like for most users, that's going to make sense. Where it's like, hey, chat app, is that notifications? Sure. Hey, they want to use my microphone? Sure. But to get all of those prompts, I think that's exaggerated. I did not run anything anywhere near that. And I've, I was using the stock apps and I went, I switched back to my regular setup, right? Running Tweetbot, Card Hop, Fantastical, Bear, Things, all these third party apps replaced the Apple ones. And because they're built properly for Mac OS as proper Mac app store apps, you, I don't get all these notification prompts. My calendar app, when I opened it, it was like, hey, this app wants to access your calendar. Sure, it's a calendar app. Thank you for not giving it access to my calendar by default. Like, I, it's, it makes sense. Yeah, so. I would imagine if there are like, I think like somebody mentioned like uh, Transmit, like the FTP client, because uh, it like access directories on your file system, and if it'll, it'll keep asking for permissions. I think, or it's like, yeah, I think it'll just like ask a bunch of permissions at once. I think they could streamline the process. They could make it like if you, if an app is asking for multiple permissions, group them and ask in a in a, like a modal dialogue of some sort, right? You know, in a separate dialogue, like not like a bunch of notifications at once asking for permissions. And group them and like have a dialogue, right? So it's like. You can streamline the process. Uh, I think that that's probably what Apple's going to do. No, I imagine it's going to get better because it's gotten better for Mojave because Mojave was even less um, granular in terms of the permissions. I just, I just think that like this sort of reckoning on making on sandbox permissions for regular apps, even if they don't run in like the Mac apps or sandbox, is important. Just because like there's like why my the thing I've never understood. You know the application I use that fights Fanchan, the Denoiser fancy app from um, Isotope. Every time I open it, it's like, hey. This app wants access to your contacts and calendar. Why? And yeah, right. If if that permissions didn't exist, right? If that permissions didn't exist, this app would just be getting my calendar and contacts for no reason. Why though? Yeah, that's that's mm, mm, questionable. Right? But like, uh, it's, it exposes like the shady shit that some developers are doing. Like, and and it might be annoying to users, but I like this is like the whole thing with Catalina, right? I feel like it's if you bought a Mac for the first time in the past five years. I don't think you're going to have an issue at all running Catalina. It is just older Mac users, right, who are upgrading are going to have these issues because there's a lot of cruft from a time when computers were a little bit more free in terms of the shit you could you could run on them and how the system operating system is just like fuck it, another binary, let's run this shit. Yeah. So that's that's Mac. I think one feature we didn't talk about is because I can't use it. Also, is Sidecar, uh, which is. Uh, which is basically making your iPad a second, uh, like a secondary screen, right? And using that, right? I I can't use it, so I, I have no way of telling how it works, like how well it works, or if it works decently, or it has missing features or whatever. Yeah, I haven't been able to test that out myself. Um, although there there is there's one more thing as well that I wanted to talk about, and it's uh talk about our good friend kernel extensions and a company called razor for gamers by gamers let's talk about let's talk about drivers and uh and and my and our good friend razor so right driver kit so um on with continuing with this like tightening up of security apple has made the system partition read only so it sort of functions like how chrome os or um, mac os or or sorry ios or android functions where it isn't you can't just modify your system partition. You now have to turn off system integrity protection, make that volume um, user writable, and then make changes to it. Yeah. Which, once again, I could see. I can see it from like a philosophical perspective of it's the code on my computer about the device. I can do what I want to it, but it mostly exists there because, honestly, how often are you poking around in like slash var slash whatever? Right. Like on a Mac, like 
on on a server where it's like a web server makes sense sometimes you need to dig into that to uh i don't know write a really fun um script for when you boot up the system but on a consumer device i don't i i genuinely don't think there's many uses for that and no one don't use mac os as a server love yourself download CentOS. <laughs> um, no, let's not get <laughs> yeah. into that but let's talk about driver kit so driver but, kit yeah. is uh so the mac os previously used to uh uh so kernel extensions or cat yeah we used to uh, so, so essentially windows is like a driver system right right and max had something called a kernel extension mm-hmm. which literally modifies the kernel which is bad for many, many reasons. It's it's essentially because it's running in the kernel and in kernel space. And if anything happens, it'll probably cause a kernel panic. So um, that's just not good. Uh, because yeah, like a bad like it's just like it says in the Ars Technica reviews that if there's a bad kernel extension, it can crash your machine. It, it'll cause what is called a kernel panic, which is uh, your your Mac will just reboot. Uh, so don't do that. Uh, well, you can't do that anymore. Is because uh, Apple introduced something called driver kit, which is basically uh, basically like a, a abstraction layer, right above the. Just right. like how Windows does it, it's literally like how Windows has it now, where you can build drivers. Um, that was part part of the reason, right back when Windows Vista came out, that a lot of devices stopped working because Microsoft built an abstracted layer. Because hey, if random printer company wrote a shit driver for your printer. And in Windows XP, it would just crash. Or even worse, it could just kind of do whatever it wanted. Blue, it'll blue, any yeah, yeah, blue screen the uh, Windows install, right? Yeah, that's not a thing anymore, right? Yeah, I haven't seen one of those in a long time. Because like your graphics driver can fail, but your system won't stop working, right? Like it won't like completely take down the system. Unless no. you only have one GPU, right? If you like integrate GPU. There's a, there's a whole lot of caveats there, but yeah. it helps prevent, it helps keep the system the system more crashes, stable. yeah, more like, yeah, it, it increases stability, it, it prevents like whole, like the entire system rebooting because, because kernel extension or driver did something. So yeah, driver kit, um, like it supports four categories in Catalina, like network controllers, right? Uh, like, Serial devices, USB devices, and human interface devices, which are like keyboards, mice, trackpads, etc., and game controllers. Uh, which they're going to be expanding it too, because essentially they're going to um, eventually remove um, kernel extensions from being ran at all. I, exactly, they, they're going to make it so that the only way you can talk to the kernel is indirectly via 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 driver kit, right? Which is objectively a good idea. Like I, I once again, I get the user freedom arguments, but like, bruh, don't. Don't don't come at me trying to tell me that kernel extensions were ever a great idea. Running running custom kernel extensions is probably yeah. I mean, um, yeah, this is another thing. Yeah, this is another one. Um, but but how this relates to Razor though is so a Razor Synapse is hot garbage, and it's the only way to control RGBs on my Razor keyboard. Otherwise, if I don't use Synapse, it does a rainbow loop that I can't turn off, cycling through every single RGB color in a minute. Which, as you can imagine, is the most distracting shit. So, starting with Mojave. So, this issue popped up in Mojave when they started introducing the, the permissions. Um, Razor does a kernel extension, and they have like a really shittily built Mac app. So, the only way to get it to get um, Razor Snaps to run is that I have to give it full input monitoring permissions, full disk access, and accessibility permissions. Oof. Otherwise, the app refuses to start and it won't let me control the RGBs on the keyboard because it's written as like a kernel extension. Uh, so it's basically stopped working in 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 Catalina. Is that what you're saying? 
it was already like a buggy as fuck in Mojave, but Catalina was the final like tooth in the nail. And the app hasn't been updated since early 2018. Oh, Jesus. And also, I, I don't even want to know what sort of code is written for that kernel extension. Oh, oh it's bad. It's bad. And I'm like, I'm, I'm literally giving Razor, like, they can do whatever the fuck they want on my computer right now. Oh, that's, yeah, that's scary to me, actually. Like, that's like actually scary because kernel extension means that. You have a, a different level of access than most applications, even that application. Especially that- like kernel extension plus full disk access and accessibility access and input monitoring. I don't know. I might have a keylogger running on my Mac right now. I don't fucking know. Yeah, exactly. You can. That's basically a keylogger right there. Uh, that now that's what I call a pro gamer move: keylogging. Hope you trust Razor because I sure as fuck don't for them to write good software i don't even think like i don't think they're being malicious i just think they write bad software and it'll crash your mac uh because it, you know they really need to rewrite this under driver kit because i'm because i don't know like I, what am i supposed to do like stop using the keyboard i pay like 100 bucks for <laughs> like i'm not gonna throw it like what am i just gonna sell this keyboard maybe get a keyboard that's that's doesn't have rgbs maybe i don't know uh, just, just a thought. I mean, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm down. You know, okay, then fine. If anyone wants to buy my Razer keyboard and use it on Windows, where Razer Synapse Three is no longer was rewritten to not function as like an administrator program on Windows, which they haven't done for Mac OS. If anyone wants to buy my keyboard, at chose to find a ten forward dot social. Most people who use Razer products are probably on Windows, so it kind of makes sense they they support Windows better. Than but like, I don't know. I, I don't want to like toss out the. I mean, that's fair. Yeah, that, yeah, but. that's fair. But I, I would just like. Man, I'm outside my return window. It works when I bought it, and then I didn't realize like how much access it needed. And see, this is why the new permission stuff is good. Because if this permission system didn't exist, I wouldn't know what this app's doing to my computer, right? Yeah. And that's sort of like that that's always gonna be my argument is that this informs the user as to what the developer is doing. And it sort of makes it makes it where developers need to be honest about why they're doing things to your system because there are some apps that make sense for um input access or accessibility right mumble for example wants to control everything every time i open a new application i get a i get a notification prompt that says hey mumble would like to control access to this application would you allow it Mm, no (laughs) no and i say no every time because like why does mumble need that mumble won't open on mac os unless you give it accessibility permissions i mm, yeah Mm. all right so that's i'm gonna wrap this up uh this is so this is mac os catalina uh if you are gonna upgrade make sure you check uh your applications state of your applications before you do so uh, as always, before you upgrade, you make sure you check your backups as well. As all, it's always a good idea to make sure that your backups are in working order uh, and then up to date before you do a major OS upgrade. Just just in case. It's, uh, Honestly, too, maybe wait until point one because yes, maybe just wait. Uh, this is not as buggy. There's not any crashing bugs on like iOS 13. It's been pretty stable, but it's not. It's not. It's not it, super it solid right there's now. Nothing like. Like you absolutely need to upgrade to, so it's you can just wait. Point one's already beta testing. Looks like there's pretty good fixes in there. So yeah, and maybe reminders, but, reminders if you're using if you upgraded. Fair, to, yeah, fair. So, maybe I for mean, reminders, but but like my my advice always with desktop software is just I don't know I don't know why like for phones I'm less like I don't care as much, but like for my own computer, right? It's like I don't know because like if this went down, I feel like I'd be more fucked, right? If like if your desktop went down, I feel like we'd be more fucked than yeah, if our phones was like bricks exactly, a little bit. Exactly. So be careful. Do your backups. Before you upgrade, uh, check check your apps uh, for 64-bit compatibility, and you might need to update some apps that uh, that don't auto-update or whatever. 
so and then as always, uh you can find us on two shades of brown.com, right? Uh and the contact at two shades of brown.com address for contact. Uh, please please stop sending us solicitations for uh spam. Yeah, SEO spam. spam. Yeah, just stop, please. I mean they're not gonna like the, the people who are sending these are just scraping the site, so it's it's whatever. But uh I got an email saying that hey, I noticed you had an Apple uh, an article on apple.com slash homepod. Yeah, that one is that one was even worse than usual because it wasn't even correct. That was that was such a bad Yeah that, <laughs> uh, Seriously, stop! Like, send us nice emails. Uh, if you upgraded to Catalina, did you did, did anything break for you? Were you using some old app or whatever? Um, you can find me on Mastodon at staticsafe at mastodon.zomboclad.com and Christian, where can people find you? You can send me offers to buy my Razer gear that is key logging my Mac, where it won't key log on your Windows device or Linux device because Synapse doesn't work on Linux and there's open source apps that'll let you do the RGB on Linux. You can please send me offers and I will include shipping if you buy it from me at chosefine at 10forward.social. You can also find my email address on my website at chosefine.website. Yep. And with that, goodbye. Bye.